0: Couldn't think of a better time to go see your local steel dealer. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, More than 10,000 around the country. Go to steelusa.com and you can check out so many of their products. And they have great products. I'm a battery guy and they last forever. They're super powerful, whether it's blowers, whether it's mowers, whether it's trimmers, whether it's hand saws or big chainsaws. You can get them battery-powered, and they're going to get the job done for you. They have all kinds of deals going on right now as we're in the middle of autumn. You just got to go check it out, and you're going to be glad you did. It's going to make your property that much prettier, and it's going to make your life that much easier. What could be better? Steel, S-T-I-H-L. They are the best. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, is Sean Payton still the smartest guy in the room? So far, that smartest guy in the room is one in four. Plus college football. Colorado's in a great place. The Buffs, CSU, Wyoming, and Air Force. All looking good. Drew is talking MLB playoffs. And it's part two of Drew's conversation with Rockies rookie sensation, Nolan Jones. What Rockies veteran offered him a Rolex if he hit a certain goal?
1: RBI here, RBI there. I did a homer, and it was like, oh my God, this might, you know, this might be real, and he. Started joke with me a little bit, like you're thinking about the Roli,
0: aren't you? Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts, and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number two hundred and twenty-three. Lot to do today before we get to uh, part two with my man Nolan Jones, who had a terrific freshman year got his feet wet if you remember with Cleveland a year ago but uh what a terrific first season he had with the Rockies we'll have part two of that interview coming up here in a in a little bit we'll start in football because it's the fall football in our country dominates in the fall we'll start locally we'll start professionally um or maybe semi-professionally as I'm sure some of the cynics are saying right now about the Broncos and uh it was another rough one Denver loses the Game against the Jets, the much-anticipated game against the Jets because of the rhetoric uh, that took place, and I want to say back and forth. It wasn't back and forth rhetoric. It emanated from Sean Payton, unsolicited, when he described Nathaniel Hackett's coaching job as one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. He tried to walk it back slightly the next day, uh, and and he had to wear it. And uh, he really wore it on Sunday. The Broncos now against decidedly mediocre teams at home 0-3 in the Sean Payton era. And I've said this before, and I guarantee you I will say it again in the future. And maybe you're a lot like me in this regard. Nobody likes the smartest guy in the room. Always be wary of the smartest guy in the room. And Sean Payton certainly... First impressions here in Denver. We've known him from afar from his days uh, in New Orleans, and we knew him a little bit in his television days. But now as we get to know him, Sean Payton comes off as the smartest guy in the room. And so far, that smartest guy in the room is one and four, and he's got to own that. One of the things that came out of that Jet game that was so evident uh, Russell Wilson talked about him last week. Not going to s- talk about him again this week. I think Russell Wilson's playing fine. There weren't guys open. I mean, he was holding the football back there and and looking around, looking around, and and it was apparent guys aren't getting consistent separation for the highest paid wide receiver room in the NFL. I know Tim Patrick's gone. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. Far from lighting the world on fire. Um, Dulcich has been out. They hope to get him back in the very near future at tight end. There aren't a bunch of game breakers on that Bronco offense right now. And the O-line has been marginal. You know all of these things. I'm not going to go over them. The defense has been awful. And you add it up and you get a one in four football team. And then you keep thinking back on on things we were told by the new head coach, the new head coach who the Broncos paid a handsome uh, sum, not only financially, but in draft capital to get from New Orleans, ultimately, where he was still, uh, his rights were still uh, part of the New Orleans Saints. And so Sean Payton, who told us he'd be highly disappointed or something along those lines, if they weren't a playoff team, is now 1-4. and It's disappointing. It's been an ongoing uh, disappointment. So that's what I got right now on the Broncos. And uh, they're they're tough to watch. And we'll see what uh, happens going forward. You know Nathaniel Hackett um, was pleased to no end. He got a game ball. His players uh, supported him. And he handled it with class. He never said a word about it after. He did not gloat. He handled it. Um, with class. And that's why even though last year was a failure and he lost his job after 15 football games, of which they had only won four, there aren't many people who played for him that disparaged Nathaniel Hackett. Good guy. The media that covered him. Good guy. You know, people wanted to blame him for not getting that field goal off, by the way, with the Jets in that first half with, with Zach Wilson. Um, here's where you don't know what was said. How do you know that it wasn't? Hey, you got to throw the football in the end zone or throw it away. Do not throw it in the field of play because then we may not, without any timeouts, get a field goal off. I mean, that's pretty elementary. Uh, but people, because of what happened here, Bronco fans wanted to lay that at Nathaniel Hackett's feet, and and I'm I'm not necessarily uh, I'm not necessarily buying that one. On to the University of Colorado. They came from behind. They found a way again. Second time this year we could use that term to describe one of their victories, certainly against Colorado State. It would apply and was applicable again in their victory over Arizona State down in Tempe. In a game that uh, looked like uh, they may lose down there, they found a way. So now they're 4-2 and two after six games. They have a, uh, a game they need to win uh, we're taping this on a Wednesday, Friday night in Boulder against uh, a Stanford team that's not the Stanford teams from a few years ago under David Shaw when Christian McCaffrey was starring there. Uh, that's one you have to put in your hip pocket. Then you're at five wins. I want to talk about this for a moment. And then the rest of the way, you know, you have Oregon State, you have Washington State, you have UCLA. Uh, You have uh, the University of Arizona, who they gave USC all they wanted uh, the other night. And their quarterback was terrific. Um, That was one hell of a game, by the way. But then you only need one to get the six. And I want to take you back to the start of the year. All you Buff fans out there, there were were two storylines on the season when it came to number of victories. Vegas had their over-under three and a half victories. And there were a lot of people who said, you know, if they, if they get four, that would be based on what we saw last year, 1-11, and 11, and you could make a convincing argument they were the worst team in Division I football, right? So if you got to four, that would be really nice progress in year one under Coach Pratt. And there were some out there that said, boy, imagine if they could go six and six and get to a bowl game. I mean, that would be just remarkable. And then the TCU game happened, followed by the Nebraska win in which Colorado in the second half in particular blew out um, Nebraska, still a rival. And then the come from behind against Colorado State in overtime. And people started thinking, you know, they're a top 25 team, started thinking, how special can this team be? Can it be nine or 10 wins special? And a top 12, top 15 type of team. I mean, people even whispered about the college football playoff. After all, do you believe in all these crazy things happening in Boulder on a positive side? And then they got blown out at Oregon, as you know. And then the SC game, which uh, I got to witness in person, great, comb- great comeback, phenomenal game. And, uh, and, and that left the Buffs with a couple of losses. But, but I want to go back to the original point. And that is that faction of Buff fans that felt like, man, wouldn't it be unreal if the Buffs in the first year under Coach Prime could get to six wins and be bowl eligible? Well, now you're at four, you ought to beat Stanford at home, that's five. And then you gotta win one of the remaining five. And I know that wouldn't be a great finish if you went, you know, one and four over the final five games, but it would get you to a place where most people didn't think you could get to in year one with the roster turnover. So Colorado's in a great place. Again, hats off uh, hats off to them. And, and they're not getting quite the same amount of attention now that they've lost a couple of games. And it's all about week in and week out, getting prepared to play. Um, and that's probably not the worst thing in the world also. Up the road in Fort Collins, they're still struggling to get to get over the hump, and become a good football team. They gave Colorado, as we know, all all they wanted. We talked about that when it happened. We talked about it briefly just a few moments ago. But the bottom line is, uh, after beating Middle Tennessee State and Utah Tech, by the way, I had had never heard of Utah Tech. And then I did a little research. And the reason I never heard of Utah Tech is they used to be Dixie State. Heard of Dixie State. And they beat Dixie State, whatever it was. They scored 40 40 to 20, something along those lines. And then they went to Utah State. Mediocre team in the Mountain West. And if you are making strides, that's one you got to win, especially when you're up 17 to nothing. 17 to nothing, about seven minutes in. Not only did they not hang on to that lead, they ended up getting blown out by 20. That's not progress. That's one, you know, a step forward and and a step and a half backwards. I won't say a full two steps, and they still have on their menu going forward their rivalry games. I can't call Boise State their rival because they've never beaten Boise State, who's carried the mantle for this conference for a long time. But they're not the same Boise State. They are really vulnerable. They have them this weekend, and you still have a really good Air Force team down the road, and a really good Wyoming team. And hats off to Craig Bull. They knock off an unbeaten Fresno State team. There's no more consistent coach in the western part of the country, forget just the Mountain West, than Craig Bull. He knows who to recruit because he knows what fits his system and his ideology and the culture in Laramie, Wyoming, and he gets those guys year in and year out. And he puts guys in the NFL also. They're not just a bunch of overachieving guys. He gets talent up there. And they're in every football game. And they win way more than you think they should. So again, hats off to Craig Bull. Getting back to Colorado State. So you got those three biggies left. They they haven't made any strides because they can't ever beat their arch rival, Wyoming. Their other rival in Air Force. And then Boise State, again, the team that everyone shoots for. They have those opportunities still moving forward in this season, and we'll see how much progress they've made overall. Or is it just going to be at the end of the year where you talk about, well, they played Colorado really tough, and it was still a disappointment because they weren't able to win any of those games against the, the three Prominent teams on their schedule that they've struggled so much with. I do think they're headed in the right direction overall under Jay Norvell. Uh, I, I, you've heard me say this before. I think Jay Norvell's, without question, the right guy. I think he's a really good football coach. But but at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta have more more games in that left hand category, right? Hey, by the way, Pac-12. I want to go back to that for a moment. I know you've seen this in this final year of the Pac-12. How ironic is it that not only are they having a really good year, as we tape today, seven teams in the top 25, but you could make an argument, because the SEC seems to be down a little bit, that the Pac-12 is the best conference in college football. If you don't want to go there, I understand that. But they're number two, probably. They're better than the Big Ten. Isn't that something? In the final year of the Pac-12, they're having the best gear they've had on the gridiron in years and years and years. Changing gears to baseball. Love this time of year. There's so much going on. NHL just got underway. Abs are one of the favorites to to get back to the Stanley Cup finals. Fingers crossed after winning it, as you know, a year and a half ago. And, and then last year's disappointment, first round exit against the Seattle Kraken. The NBA will get going soon. Football clearly in full swing. And then you have the baseball playoffs. I want to address one thing that's been a, a hot topic in, in baseball circles of late. And that is the criticism now in year two of the best out of three series for the wild in, in the wild card round, if you will. And the fact that the teams with the best record, the division winners with the best record, that's the top two division winners, get five days off basically. And because most of those teams, not all, didn't fare that well initially, well, baseball's a game that's played every day. That's the narrative. And it really hurt them. And even some folks out here compared it to what happened with the Rockies when they had, by the way, nine days off between the National League Championship Series and the World Series, and that hurt all their mojo. What I would argue back then, I do think it affected them. Nine days off is quite a bit. It's more than it's more than five, Um, but the best team won that World Series. And if you talk to players inside that 2007 clubhouse, if you talk to them now, they'd probably say it hurt us. It would have been a better series, but the better team probably won. Now to what's been occurring this year, there have been teams that have been able to. Houston won a division title. They're swinging the bats just fine. I don't think you can hang your hat on that. Look at the All-Star break. Nobody ever mentions, boy, teams look sluggish coming back from the All-Star break because it's the same time off. The other thing is, is you can put put your rotation together as you'd like with that time off. So you do get the reward if you win your division and win it in convincing fashion with one of the best records in your league. So I'm not buying that overall. I'm not buying the fact that those teams didn't perform well because they had some time off. We're in a time frame with podcasts, with radio talk shows, with debate television, sports television shows, where there has to be a reason for everything. No, there doesn't, especially in the sport of baseball. In the sport of baseball, in short series, a team with lesser talent can win, and does win, and historically has won, whether there's time off or there's no time off. Everybody's celebrating Bruce Bochy in Texas running through Baltimore right now. What a great manager. And Boch is a great manager. His greatness lies in how he manages through the course of 162 games beginning, you know, prior to that with the six weeks of spring training, his consistency. It's not game to game, these intricate and sophisticated moves he makes in game that leaves the other manager baffled, where we would use terms like, oh, he got outmanaged, or he outmanaged the other side. No. Guess what? In a given series, his guys got clutch hits, his pitchers made pitches in big moments, or maybe they had a little baseball luck on their side, Because the prior weekend, if you remember, Texas against Seattle did not finish what was a very nice season for the Rangers and got caught by the Astros, and the Astros won the division title, not the Rangers. Was Bochy a bad manager the final weekend of the season? No. Managers' effectiveness and their leadership and their skill set are told over the course of a season, not in one particular game or one particular series. Baseball is different that way. And let's look at the Dodgers and the Arizona series. People saying, "Well, the you know the Dodgers, you know, were the division winner by a landslide. Arizona had a really nice year, but won you know eighty-seven games, whatever it was. There's no way they can compete with the Dodgers." Yes, there is. It's a short series. And Arizona has a good offense. And Arizona got after Clayton Kershaw in game one, and they continued that in game two. There's not this huge disparity. And with the Dodgers, they were interesting all year for me in that this was a different Dodger team. This was not the, the pitching rich Dodgers because of all the injuries, their ERA was was, you know, lower half of Major League Baseball. They had a good bullpen, but their starting rotation decimated by injuries, right? And in the case of the Dodgers, the fact that they won as many games as they did in large measure came down to their offense and less to do with their pitching, which was a departure from what we've seen over the last decade. And it's kind of played out that way in the postseason. Their pitching's gotten beaten up. The Dodgers, to me, 11 straight years in the postseason, 10 division titles. They've become what the Braves were in the 90s into the first part of this century, where the Braves won 14 straight division titles, yet captured only one world championship, and that was in 1995. Clayton Kershaw, one could make a convincing argument, is the greatest regular season pitcher of all time. He is in the conversation. Since 1920, he has the lowest ERA of a starting pitcher since that time frame. So well over 100 years, he has the lowest ERA. We'll just start there. Yet for whatever reason, in the postseason, his ERA is almost two runs or in the neighborhood of two runs higher. And he set a postseason record by giving up, what was it, six runs without recording an out. He ultimately got just one out. Interesting. Nolan Jones, as you know, is one of the guys the Rockies are building around. They learned a lot about Nolan Jones this year. Especially if you think back, the first time he came up, he didn't even get in. Three games, and it was sent, and he was sent back to Albuquerque. He didn't do anything wrong. He just never got in because he had such a poor spring training that Buddy Black didn't feel it necessary to, to run him out there initially. There were other guys he was playing at that time. He came up because of an injury. And it wasn't until the second time he came up that he— continued to do a lot of the things he was doing in AAA, and then as the season wore on, he got better, and he became clearly the best offensive player for the Rockies, not to mention all the outfield assists, 19 of them. So he had a remarkable year, and this was what 2023 should have been about, building with young players, finding out who's going to be part of the solution. And I think we can unequivocally say going forward, Nolan Jones is going to be part of the solution for the Rockies to get back into contention in the National League West and the National League overall. Part two of my interview with the Rockies left fielder, Nolan Jones. What are you most proud of this year? And, and, you know, from a statistical standpoint, there's a ton to be proud of, you know, the 20 homers Uh, for, for me from afar, you know the 900 plus nine third, i forget what it was ops which is you know that that's like all-star caliber and you did it all in you know 4 months but what what are you most proud of
1: i think like we talked about just handling handling the ups and downs of the game you know i think i did i, I think i did a good job this year of relying on my teammates a lot i had i had guys like charlie blackman around that i got to Talk to all the time and 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 like guys like Chris Bryan, who You know he wasn't healthy all year, but but having him around the clubhouse is is, is so cool. Um, so I think I think just kind of riding riding that wave this year, I did a good job. You know it's so easy to to get really low on yourself. This game is hard. And I think I, I did a good job this year of handling my failures and, and that, that rough month I had this year. Um, you know, working with my coaches, working with the pe- with the people in, in that clubhouse to balance it. Um, I did a good job this year. I think it's, it's hard as a rookie to come up in the big league because you want to prove that you belong in the big league. I think the hardest thing for younger guys is just going out and playing. We we take stri- we make strikeouts ten times a bigger deal than they are. We make errors. We make base running mistakes we blow it out of proportion because we think we're, we're showing people that we're not ready or we can't play in the big league. And I think that's the hardest part. But I think this year I did a good job of, of, you know, understanding that I'm learning a new position. I'm out in the outfield. I'm going to make mistakes. Like, obviously I want to be perfect. I want to help this team win every single day. Um, but it's not realistic to think you're going to be you're going to be perfect every single day. So I think I did, did a good job this year um, relying on my teammates and and you know, trying to stay as even keel as
0: possible. Did you have a coolest moment? I mean, did you have a, a moment on the field where you're like, you know what? Wow, uh, um, that was neat.
1: Um, uh, you know, I think I I think the walk off home run against the, the Padres was the was the coolest moment for me. You know, I had a couple at bats in the ninth inning where they brought in a lefty to face me, and I was able to. to, to to drive a ball or drive a run in or or whatever, and you know I, I did a good job this year with when I had runners in scoring position, like like really focusing on doing my job and getting those runners in. Um, but I think I think that walk off home run was was the coolest moment for me. I you know you, something you dream about coming up in the bottom of the ninth with a chance to win the game for your team. Like it's something it's something you dream about, and and you know I. We had Mike Mustakis and Randall Grichuk hitting in front of me that inning, and I remember going into the cage, and they were both—they both jokes both me. They were like, "What are you doing? Game's going to be over before you get up." And I was like, <laughs> "I was, was laughing, obviously," and then, you know, just just taking taking a, a controlled swing in a big moment like that. Like I think that that's something that it is hard to do. You know, when you when you come up in the bottom of the ninth with nobody on base and two out. Like, it's very easy to have one thing on your mind, um, and I think that moment, you know, I, I was able to, to stay calm and just think about putting a good swing on a good pitch, getting a good pitch to hit, and yeah, so that was that was my, my coolest moment this year, and then, you know, rounding the bases and having all the guys waiting for you at home play, you can't beat that.
0: Yeah, you can't beat that, and, and you know what else I don't think you can beat because of some of the things you described? and. Um, certainly not at the big league level, but I've shared you know, moments with my with my boys when they have success and, and coaching them. When you had an opportunity, whether it was in the clubhouse or on the drive home or once you got to your place, to call um, mom and or dad, um, what do you remember about that particular conversation? Because I'm, I'm sure they're watching uh, every moment they can.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm I'm very connected with both my parents. I, I talk to both my parents every single day, um, and you know, I just I just called them yesterday, and they both kind of just told me how proud of me they were. Um, and, you know, hearing that from your parents means miles more than anybody else. But just you know, both my parents just told me they're so happy for me, and like I think I think just having those conversations and, and getting to call my grandma and. I called I called my grandmoms and my grandmom said I missed I missed one inning this year and you know hearing that from from your grandmom she's on the east coast staying up till one o'clock in the morning every night watching me play um, you know those are that, that's special for me those are those are really cool conversations that I got to have and and you know just hearing your parents get to talk about some of your successes and and their friends you know I, I would I, there's no chance that I could I could I could be here without them. I wouldn't have had this opportunity so to to make to make my parents proud and, and,
0: and have them be happy and tell me they're proud of me and, and meant the world's next. That that's really cool and I love how you described it. And God bless your grandmother, man. Just staying up that, that late every night and missed only one inning.
1: She was mm-hmm. so sad. She was so sad. She was that I missed one inning this year. I don't know why I went to bed
0: oh my gosh uh, you know what next next year please if if she's able to come out or it's in Philadelphia we would love to meet her that would be awesome man
1: yeah absolutely she would love it she would love it
0: yeah that that that's that's remarkable um you are gonna be able to um well let me let me rephrase that if you are ever late anywhere at least in the next i don't know six eight ten months people are gonna give you a lot of shit. Um, because you have a fancy watch on the left wrist that i guarantee you always has accurate time um do you have it on right now by the way of course i have it on right now <laughs> uh, take us through that whole um what chris bryant challenged you with to earn a rolex and uh and how you got that done
1: yeah so we we Talked about, I think I I think I was at maybe 11 homers and around 30 RBIs. um, And he bet me, he wanted to bet me that I couldn't get I could get to 20. Well, first of all, the bet was that I would do the gritty, the pants, the gritty into home plate when I hit a home run. (laughs) And, uh, And he offered me an amount of cash. I was like, I don't want cash. I want something that you know I can I can look at and say, Chris Bryant got me this, and he. He was like, All right, you know what? Let's figure something out. Let's how about a Rolex? Like Alright, I'll do I'll do it for a Rolex. And later in the day he came back to me and he was like, Hey, like let's make it let's make it goals oriented. Let's let's make it something that would be that something you can strive for. It's like, All right, you you tell me and he said twenty home runs and or six or sixty RBI And so in my head I'm like, All right, no Rolex for me, you know. That's so a that's a lot of homers in a month and a half and a lot of RBIs in a month and a half and, and i i wasn't really even thinking about it for a while and, and the last couple weeks of the season you know i was getting closer i just i kept getting a little closer RBI here RBI there i did a homer and it was like oh my god this might you know this might be real and he started he started joking with me a little bit like you're thinking about the roley, aren't you okay yeah so he was actually sick when i when i reached the goal of 60 RBIs um I, I hit a, a double off against the Dodgers and, and B-Rod was... And all the guys knew the deal, so B-Rod was cooking around. He was at first base and he scored and he looked out at me and was like, let's go! Like, and um, But yeah, he texted... Chris texted me after the game and was like, dude, so happy for you. Like, um, I saw the smile on your face. You're going to be looking at Rolexes all night and I sent him back a picture of my wrist and it said, "His wrist can't wait. Like, it was just... A, you know, I think it was... Honestly, I'm not sure that he thought that I had a chance to get to it either. Um, so once I, once it started getting closer, he started bringing it up to me. And, and, you know, he's a man of his word. The next day, I had a I had a Rolex in my hand. He literally the next day walked up to me with a box and was like, here you go, congratulations. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, first of all, I you know, we told the story naturally uh, on television. I couldn't believe how fast he got it. And did you get to pick it out, or did he pick it out for you? And how? Again, how how did he pull that one off so quickly?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know how he pulled that off. I mean, I guess Chris Bryan probably has some connections, you know. Um, but he sent me a catalog and said pick one out, and I sent him back, and I was like, uh, "Don't you want to pick it out? These are not cheap watches by any means." So I went on and I, I picked a very modest one that was extremely expensive. Extremely expensive, right. and I sent it to him, and all he replied was done. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Like, Are you serious?" And the next day, he shows up with it. So you know, it's just like he's just—I I, I can't say enough good things about KB. Um, he's a—he's a huge part of this team and a huge part of this clubhouse. And obviously, he hasn't played as many games as as the fans and him himself have wanted him to. But I—I I really think that. You know, next year is going to be going to be a huge year for us, and and KB is obviously the biggest part of that. And having a healthy KB in the lineup um, is is going to change the
0: team. Yeah. By the way, uh, on the television crew, we were all very proud of you, also, and we and um, we put some funds together and we got you an Ironman um, running watch and uh, a little triathlon watch. We'll, we'll give it to you in spring training. We got to make sure we have uh, all the bills paid. The per- Perfect. I got my right wrist is empty, so. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I want to talk defense for a moment, because for me, getting to call your bats and and getting to call some of the plays you made defensively, I think I may get even more excited for some of these damn throws you've made. Uh, it's not just that you have a big arm. Um, I've pointed this out a lot, Nolan, it, it, there there's a lot of talented guys naturally in the best league in the world in which you play but the fact that you are so accurate from the outfield a position that you didn't originally play to me it, it's mind-boggling uh, you know how, how cool is it when you do throw somebody out we'll start there
1: yeah it's an unbelievable feeling you know i never i never got to play yeah, I've never played the outfield in my entire life, and my arm has always been a strength of mine. I mean, I I hit more home runs than I threw people out. Like, the opportunity to throw someone out doesn't come that often. So to get an opportunity, and, and when it's a play, it's a play in a tight game, or, you know, yesterday or two days ago, I, I got to throw someone out at second base in the, in the bottom of the eighth inning or top of the eighth inning. Um, the, the, the moment. The, the opportunities to throw someone out in the outfield don't pop up that often. So to get them and take advantage of them and make a throw on the money, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great, it's an unbelievable feel.
0: Did you have to lengthen out your, your arm swing? Because, you know, usually it's a little bit longer on the backside when you're in the outfield. You came up as a third baseman and that's, you know, that's, a, that's you know, pretty much... Put put your, uh, your your hand behind your ear, and, and that's how you throw in the infield. Was that a, was that something you had to alter?
1: So a little bit, yeah. Um, but actually, I had I had a really 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 tough time throwing the ball in 2016 to 2018. I had a very inaccurate arm. I always had the strength, the arm strength there. Um, and so, 2019, I really had to learn, relearn how to throw. Um, I worked a lot with the pitching coaches in Cleveland um, because it was something that would drive me nuts. I would, I would throw from third base to first base, and I would throw turbo sinkers, cutters. I have my middle finger is 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 a lot longer than my pointer finger. I have really big hands, um, and so I would ball would move all over the place, so I had to learn how to. I had to relearn how to throw in 2019, and you know, something that actually turned out to be a blessing for me is that I once I learned how to throw in 2019, I couldn't really use the touch throw that you need at third base. Um, you know, Ryan McMahon fields the backhand down the line. He's running into the dugout at third base, and he. Lobs a ball over and it hits the first baseman in the chest every single time. I couldn't do that. I had to set my feet. I had to throw a missile to first base because I wasn't accurate with the touch throw, um, which turned out to be a blessing for me. you know, I moved to the outfield and and I used that 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 hard throw that I learned in 2019 how to control, um, and you know, it kind of transferred it transferred right into my my outfield game.
0: Do you even have? Um, I'm sure you have. You know, a, a third. You know, an 11, 11 and three quarters, twelve-inch glove to play third, whatever it is, and a first baseman's glove. But do you do you think that that's you know something of the past, and now you're a full-time corner outfielder?
1: Yeah, you know, I had I had conversations with Buddy and Bill because I wanna I wanna I wanna be a a, a gold glover. Like I wanna help my team on both sides of the baseball. And I admit fully that I didn't do that defensively this year. You know, I had my my flip ups. I. I, w- I was I was I was learning the outfield. You know, I, I'm I'm hard on myself, but it uh, it's something that I'm really going to take pride in. And I asked them where they thought I need to work because obviously, you know, we have a Gold Glove third baseman. Ryan McMahon is a Gold Glover. Ryan McMahon hits 20 plus homers a year. He's an everyday third baseman for the Colorado Rockets for as many years as he's here. Um, so I wanted to, to know what my my role would be. I think that. I, you know, I went in and I talked to them and they, they said it's in the outfield. Obviously, this first base, I was gonna work, I was gonna work there. Um, I played a couple of games at first this year, one at third that I did use Ryan McMahon's glove for. Um, and then, yeah, I think I think now my my spot is the outfield. I get to, you know, dial it in this off season and and I I, I want to be a Gold Glove defender. I want to win a Gold Glove next year. I want to help the team on both sides of the ball. So I think that's gonna be left field for me.
0: Well, if there's any indication from what you did with your throwing arm and, and your ability you know to get to baseballs also um, in extreme left center field, you have to I've said this many times, you know this from playing out there. You have to have really two center fielders, one in center naturally, and one in left uh, to cover the, the biggest outfield in baseball. and so you're, that's where your foot speed comes in, man, um, which, is, which is great to have.
1: Yeah, you know they uh, most teams, you know they their their strongest arm is in right field. It's no secret. Like you got to make that throw from from right to third and right to home. Whereas left field, you don't usually that throw to third isn't as far. So your your throw is home plate. Um, and so I mean I think when after I talked to, to Bill and Buddy, I was I was a question I had is that is it right field? Is it left field? What what is it for me? And that's a, they they came back to me and said you know that left field that left field Outfield is no joke. Like you need, like you said, you need a center fielder to, to cover in left field and center field. Um, and obviously, what a blessing it was this year for me playing next to Brenton Doyle. I mean, if he doesn't win a Gold Glove, it's, a, it's a, that's a joke. Um, he's tracked down balls better than anybody I I have ever even come close to, to watching play center field. Uh, and having him out there cover a lot of that ground for me helped. Um, but like you said. Course, course field. It, that outfield is no joke by any means. That is no joke to an outfield. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover out there, and it's something that you know I'm I'm definitely going to work on all offseason to 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 hopefully be a, be able to to help Brent on those balls in left center.
0: Yeah, he he absolutely should win a Gold Glove. I mean, hands down, should win a Gold Glove. He is, you know, he's he's beyond words in in terms of how well he covers. Um, how fearless he is, and and he also, like yourself, I mean, he can flat-out throw. Um,
1: For sure, he's got a talent. That one play, off-topic, but one play I remember this year in Tampa, in right center, the diving catch he made, and yeah. I was just like, this is the best outfielder I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it's as good as it gets. You know who else has, I mean, Corey Sullivan, you, you know Corey, you know Ryan Spielborgs, they played out there. We watched Dexter Fowler play out there. Um, I've seen good center fielders. He's the best. And they say he's the best. And and they said it, like, early on. They said, this is the best we've ever seen out there. You know, Cargo, when he was younger, played out there. Uh, obviously, Charlie played out there. And with all due respect to those guys, Brenton Brenton's better. And uh, so... It, it kind of leads me into the next topic we touched on this a little bit we you know you and and toby um you and Doyle Hunter Goodman came up and I know I know i you know he struggled a little bit at the end, but he really showed out initially swinging the bat do you and you know montero had a great finish to the season the last six weeks or so. do you guys talk a little bit as a group as a younger nucleus saying hey we're gonna be the guys that turn this thing around and get the Rockies back into contention?
1: Uh, no, not really. You know, I think, I think we, I think we can, like we talked about earlier, I think we see the energy that comes from it. You know, I think, I think we see the positives, the energy, um, and all that. But I think, you know, the most, the thing we talk about most is, is, is helping each other be comfortable. You know, Montero came up and for a while, Montero was struggling and struggling and struggling, got down to AAA, hit 480. Came back up, struggled, went back down, hit four fifty. And it was like, Hey, relax a little bit. Like enjoy like have fun with this. You're going down to Triple A because you know you're the man. Like, you are the man. You know you rate. You know that everybody knows you rate. Believe that when you're here. And I think it's more of it's more of a it's more of an encouraging environment, um, rooting each other on, pulling for each other. And I think that's something that we all felt this year, you know. There was no there was no jealousy from anybody on this team. There was no, ah, uh, he's having success. I feel that, you know, I wish I was having the success or this or that. You know, I felt, you know, Britton Doyle, there, there was no secret that he was struggling at the plate. And then... You know he would he would go out and make a make a play in the outfield. It was just like holy cow, like this guy isn't carrying his bat into the outfield. I think we just I think the younger guys did a really good job of picking each other up. You know we all cared about each other and and obviously we see that there's there's a, there's a future with with this younger group of guys. Um, but the the older guys played a huge role And I think you know signing Charlie Black Charlie Blackman back is. But it's huge for the Rockies. But he is such a a presence in the clubhouse and obviously on the field and what he does on the field. But, you know, having Charlie in the clubhouse is such such a great thing for us younger guys. I mean, he's 35 years old. He's done everything he needs to do in baseball. He's made the money he needs to make in baseball. And he just goes about his business the right way every single day. So, you know, for us younger guys to get to see that and watch him and how he does things, there's just there was so much
0: learning done this year. Yeah, it, Charlie will appreciate that because he's actually 37, so he shaved a couple years off of uh, <laughs> off of him. You know, you know it's wild. It, you mentioned uh, a while back that you two were the fir- the last two guys to leave the clubhouse after game 162. Something tells me that Charlie, who is a, uh, you know, he is so routine oriented and he's a slave to his routine, he probably was in the weight room. Before he went and showered and ate after game 162 as he would do every other day of the year.
1: Yeah, he was. Um, you know, seeing seeing the way Char- Charlie goes about his business every day is unbelievable. It's so cool. Like you said, slave to his routine is the best way to put it. Charlie knows what he needs to do every single day. And he's 37 years old. It's not, it's not easy for a 22-year-old to play 162 games. Like... It breaks down your body. It breaks down your mind. But Charlie knows what he needs to do every single day to go out and show people the best Charlie Blackman and give us the best chance to win. And he does it. And it's 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 unbelievable to see.
0: Yeah. All right. Off season. What do you get? Um. I would assume you're not going to pick up a baseball or a bat for a period of time. That's that's where we'll start. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. I'm going to take a little time off. You know, this is this is the the longest. This is the most amount of games I've ever played in my life. Um, I'm going to take about a week of doing nothing, and then I'm going to get into doing some yoga and Pilates for a week or two, um, and then I'm going to start some, some light lifting after that. I, I'm, I'm not someone who um, can stay sane doing nothing, um, so I'm definitely going to stay active. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be going on bike rides and, and doing other things to keep my body moving, but... I definitely need a, a mental and physical break from 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 baseball and, and competition in general.
0: Yeah, every every player does. Good for you. Um, are you going to get a chance to watch your brother uh, play a little goalie this winter?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I love playing hockey and still my favorite sport, sport to watch um, in person. I love going to hockey games. So, you know, I've gotten some cool opportunities the past couple years with him at Penn State. And then him with uh, Colorado and then going over to Ireland and now he's with uh, the Minnesota Wilds. So you know I've gotten to travel to some cool places just to see him and support
0: his dreams so I'll uh, it's not something that'll stop anytime soon. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I don't know if i ever asked you did you have a football background or was it just baseball hockey?
1: I played football up until eighth grade, so not not much of a football background. But it was just it was it was during hockey season, so it was always hard for me to keep up with both.
0: Yeah, are you an Eagles fan? Yes, sir, I am. That was a good run. That was a good run last year. You guys are going to be in position again this year, and I and I say that in the same breath that I watch because I'm from New York and I'm a huge Giants fan. And it was a good year last year. Uh, the Eagles showed the Giants in the playoff just how far they have to go, and now this year's off to a disastrous start. But you guys are in the mix again.
1: Yeah, it's a good team. You know, they got a good core with, um, you know, Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and they got, um, you know, they they just got a lot of veteran um, veteran linemen, and and their defense is good. They got they got a really good team. They got DeAndre Swift. This year is a Silly guy running back who's been having a great year. So, yeah, they're exciting to watch.
0: He said so, he had something on Instagram uh, recently that he uh, that he's hoping to get uh, Taylor Swift, I don't know, to sign his jersey, something along those lines. I don't know if he saw that. I didn't see
1: that, but that's pretty funny. Yeah, I know the MLB, or the NFL has been running with the old Taylor Swift now. There it
0: is. Yeah, that's awesome. Um I will let you fly. Uh, by the way, what town are you in? Where are you? I have no idea. Uh,
1: we passed Albuquerque about forty minutes ago, so wherever.
0: Gallup. You're you're on your way to Gallup.
1: Probably Gallup. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. We're uh, all I see right now is mountains. So.
0: There you go. Well, listen, man. Drive carefully. Get your rest. Enjoy the off season and uh it, it was thrilling to watch you play this year to watch you grow um and uh and getting to know you most importantly and i'm i'm really excited for uh, your present and I'm, I'm excited for your future and, and thanks for all uh that you do in accommodating us during the season man
1: absolutely sure thank you you guys do an unbelievable job too making us you know making us sound good so i really appreciate you guys as well
0: well, love your group and again enjoy the off season, Nolan. We'll talk soon.
1: Tom Drew. thank you.
0: I just love this guy. I mean, and you can feel his energy, you can feel his intensity in listening to his words. And I know I've said this like a broken record. I always come back to the guys that are really special, that are part of winning teams are guys that have that chip on their shoulder. And he's got it, man. He really does. And I think you'll continue to see him get better moving forward, just as you saw him get better as the uh, four months of his big league experience with the Rockies unfolded. So good for Nolan Jones and... um, We'll hear more from uh, some of the Rockies youngsters and the Rockies brass coming up. We're going to have Hensley Mullins, Bam Bam, the hitting coach uh, on coming up. He's going to break down what the Rockies... Uh, youngsters have done and what he thinks of those guys going forward that'll be coming up uh, in coming weeks we'll also check in with uh, buddy black the skipper uh, as we always do to get a kind of a a post-mortem and a look forward Uh, so look for that uh, coming up on the podcast uh, also hey one other note on the broncos going forward you know there's been a lot of uh, talk because of the horrendous start you know who will they trade will they make some more trades and I know, again, as we tape that Sean Payton said, you know, we're not planning on trading anybody else. Um, should there be untouchables? First of all, I will—I I can't guarantee you anything, but I, I believe that if this trend with this team continues, and there's no indication that it won't um, in terms of the losses, that they will move someone or a couple of someones if they can get draft capital back. I don't think there's any question about that, so I don't pay much credence to what he said uh, this week. If there is one guy, I probably wouldn't trade, and and this has been also a common theme, and that's Sertan, because the NFL is about quarterbacks, blindside tackles, unless you're Tua, we're talking about a left tackle. Edge rushers and and lockdown corners, and yes, you got to have some wideouts. That's what this league's about. That's why those guys are the most prominently and paid guys in football. So, in the case of Sertan who's a lockdown corner, he's demonstrated that very quickly. He he's a part. We were talking about the the Rockies. He's a part of a winning. Type of team. He is a really important piece. And he's young moving forward. So I don't want draft capital for Sertan. Everyone else. Everyone else. Not including Russell Wilson. Because you're not going to trade Russell Wilson. The contract prohibits you from trading him. And you can win with Russell Wilson. I still believe that. But everyone else. Free game. Free game. Because if you can get draft capital back. Whether it's a Jerry Judy. Or Cortland Sutton Garrett Bowles You go do it I did want to weigh in on that That'll do it for this edition of the podcast We appreciate uh, your listenership each week uh, Tell a friend We'd appreciate that as well uh, For my man Marky Who gets uh, gets it all done uh, Big tip of the cap as always And we'll do it again in seven days Enjoy your football weekend Enjoy the baseball playoffs Enjoy the start of the hockey season A lot going on Again, we'll do it in seven days. Stay safe, stay well, everybody.